Good morning. I'm going to excuse the kids uh, from preschool to the first grade for Kids Club this morning. I'm Scott. I'm one of the elders here. I get the privilege of of filling in here uh, for Pastor Ben, who uh, he and Pam got an opportunity to uh, get away and get a break and get refreshed. And so um, we love to be able to provide for that. And I love the opportunity to uh, open God's word with you. And uh, and so this morning we are going to continue in our uh, study of the book of Genesis. Uh, we're going to continue with the story of the flood. Before we get started, I think it's important that we think about the flood differently this morning. Because you know, when I think of the flood, um, I always come back to those preschool stories, those kid club stories of of the ark and Noah and the animals. But we're going to spend some time in the text. We're going to see that it's it's not just that. Um, there's more to the story than the ark and the animals. And at its core, um, it is a story of grace, but it is also a story of judgment, and we have to deal with that as a as a congregation, as a people, as followers of Christ. We have to deal with the fact that God does judge our sin. If you remember, and we're going to just recap where we've been, how we got to a flood. So in Genesis chapter 1, we start out with God created, and he, God created the heavens and the earth. He made light. He made animals. He made plants, um, the stars in the sky. At the end of chapter 1, we see that God says all that he made is good, is very good. In verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. It's important for us to understand from chapter 1, that God said it was good. It was his uh, words that decided what was good. In chapter 2, we see the creation of man um, detailed out for us. We see Adam and Eve being placed in the garden, or Adam being placed in the garden and given work, giving a responsibility to care for the garden, to care for um, and name the animals. And then we see the creation of Eve and God creating man and woman uh, to be together, to reflect God's image. In chapter 3, Ben has been uh, reminding us it took all of about 1.3 seconds for sin to enter the world. The serpent deceives Eve, and they take the fruit from the tree. See, I think that when they take the fruit, when they um, take it, it's like them saying, I know you said this is good, but I think that's good, and so I'm going to take it. In chapter 4, we see sin escalating, Cain and Abel. And you remember that they bring, they both bring an offering to the Lord. Uh, Abel's is regarded, and Cain's was not. God warns him, says, if you bring an acceptable offering, would you not also be accepted? And Cain had a choice. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. See, God gave 
Cain a second choice. He gave him a choice to choose to let sin rule him or to choose to rule over sin. And we know Cain chose to let sin rule over him and sin led to death. So when we choose sin, it always spirals into violence, into death. It always spirals there. And we see it continue in chapter 4, um, the last story where we get Lamech and Lamech bragging about his sin and bragging that his sin should be avenged even more than Cain's. And then last two weeks ago, Ben left us um, in chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth and it grieved him in his, to his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land and the animals and the creeping things and the birds and the heavens. I am sorry I have made them. So we have to deal with the fact that sin had spiraled so out of control from the time of Adam to the time that we were at two weeks ago in this story. Sin had spiraled to the point where God was grieved. And he had decided in his heart that he had to do something, that he had to make a change. And this is something that I think is very difficult for our world to accept. See, we live in a society, we live in a world, especially here and now, where we cannot uh, understand that God would ever punish anybody, right? How could a loving God, how could a loving God punish sinners? How could a loving God um, condemn people to death? And see, the, the problem is, is that we as a society are viewing that from what we deem as good, right? We deem, um, we decide what is right, what is good. But that's not our role. In Genesis 1, we go back in Genesis 1, who decided? God decided to call what he made good. He gets to decide what is right, what is good. And it's a positional problem that sin causes. In our house, we talk a lot about the book of Judges right now. Um, in Judges 17.6, the verse says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So that is the core of the, our sin problem is that, again, we decide what is right. And that's really not our place. So we pick up the story of the flood uh, as a people who uh, who had decided what was right had and had let had let their sin spiral all the way down uh, to the point where God was grieved that He had created man. So we're going to pick it up in verse nine of Genesis. If you I uh, don't have a Bible with you. Um, there's a Red Pew Bible. I believe it's page five. Uh, we're going to read a lot of Scripture this morning. 
because I think we need to see a lot of this story. So we're going to start chapter 6, verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Hammon, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. We need to stop here and understand a little bit more about Noah. Verse eleven or verse nine tells us that Noah was right, a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah was not without sin. If we look in Romans, uh, Romans three twenty three, for all sin, for all have sinned. We all have it. We've all had it since since Adam and Eve in the garden. We have all um, chosen sin. But there's something different about Noah. And I think that something different comes back in chapter 5 when we see uh, chapter 5, verse, starting in verse 21, we see the story of Enoch. And it says, Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years, and he had other sons and other daughters. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch would have been the great great-grandfather of Noah. Great-grandfather of Noah. (laughs) What made Noah righteous, what made him blameless in his generation, is the same thing that made his great-grandfather righteous and taken. He walked with God. The last year or so, I've benefited from the uh, having growing children and having responsible older children um, to the point where now in a summer evening, Christina and I get to go out and, and take a walk. And I think there's something special about the imagery of walking with. That's a time of connection that's unlike any other time of connection. When you go out for a walk, when it's just you, if you're in nature, you're just walking down the street, it's you and one other person, you have this intimate conversation. It's private. It's just the two of us when Christine and I go for a walk, and we're having this conversation, but it connects us in a way that is different than any other uh, times because we're separated from the stresses of our normal life. We're separated, and we're walking, right? We're moving, and we're building that relationship, and somehow... That is important. That image of a walk is important in the life of Enoch and was important in the life of Noah that Moses would point it out. They walked with God. See, Noah's heart was different. And he chose to follow God. We see in Hebrews 11, uh, verses uh, 5 through 7, we see their story, uh, starting with Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended for having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever, draws, 
whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning the events unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. There was a godly line that was passed to Noah, and he had chosen to follow God. He had chosen to be a worshiper. And life would come from that choice. Because in all of the generation and all of the world, God said, it's all corrupt and it's all um, worthy of being destroyed except Noah. Noah found favor in verse 8. As we move on, starting in verse 14, make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how are you to how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it uh, a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make lower and lower second and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood upon the waters of the earth to destroy all flesh which in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh, and of every living thing of all thresh, flesh, you should bring two of should bring two of every sort into the ark, keeping them alive with you. They shall be made male and female, of the birds according to their kind, of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping things of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. We read this section um, it's easy to get caught up. Ben had brought to light in the last section that there's a lot of pieces of the flood story that catch us up that we want to think about. Um, a cubit, it's about 18 inches. That means the ark was about 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. It's probably shaped more like a box than by like the boats that we see in all the children's uh, stories. It's tempted you get tempted to think and dwell on what it looked like. How could it house two of the almost 20,000 species of animals? How would you put enough food on there for, uh, for 150 days or almost 300 days um, at sea? And I think this, what this the scripture is teaching us is that God is detailed but even more than that, what we see in verse 22, that Noah did all that God commanded him as he commanded him. If we, if we sit and dwell on all the other pieces of this, we miss the point. And the point was that this is again, uh, tells us about Noah and his heart. 
He had a desire to do exactly what God told him. He was willing to follow. He had the faith to follow God and do exactly as he was told. When we get into chapter 7, God invites Noah into the ark. Tells him to bring the animals. In this section, we get seven uh, a section uh, in verse 2. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, uh, and a pair of all the animals that are not clean. We had this conversation in our house. How did, how did Noah know which animals were clean and which ones were not? Again, not a very important point, um, but it's easy to get caught up. I told my wife when we had this conversation, I think it's because seven showed up. Seven pairs showed up. Uh, that was good enough for me. But when we get through chapter 7, it's the preparation, and God invites Noah to come into the ark. And verse 16, and the Lord shut him in. So Noah didn't have the capacity to shut the door by himself, or at least he didn't shut the door by himself. God shut him in. God does the work. He creates, he does the work to, to save Noah. And as the story continues, the floodwaters start coming up. It rains 40 days. Water bursts out of the ground. We see this universal flood. It's where I land. There are, again, there's arguments on whether or not that would be right, but I landed at a universal flood. Um, Then it says that the mountains were covered 15 cubits deep, which means another 30 feet or so. 45 feet over the, or 30 feet over the mountaintops. And Moses was adrift. The animals and Moses, or Noah, excuse me. Noah and the animals were adrift. God had not yet saved them. That's something that, I guess I didn't even think of this until this week. Um, that God had not saved Noah, he had not saved Noah's family at this point. They were on the ark, but they were just floating. In verse 8, we get, but God remembered Noah. This is the climax of this story. This is where we move from judgment to grace. The beginning of chapter 8, we see that God remembers. Whenever it says that God remembers um, someone or his covenant, it means that he's going to act. This is where he's going to intervene and step into the life of Noah. He's going to step into the story again and do his saving work. All of the life had been blotted out. All the uh, animals, all the people were done. They had been underwater. All life had been blotted out at this point. We get, but God. Just like two weeks ago, we're going to go right back to Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 4. 
But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. But God steps into the story, just like God steps into our story in Jesus and rescues us from our sin. We move from the destruction of the world in verse 1 to God rescuing the people and God recreating the world. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the water subsided. Just like in, in uh, chapter 1, verses 2, the root word for, or the Hebrew word for wind here, um, it's a word called, or word is ruach. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But it's the same word that's translated in Genesis 1-2. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the earth. This word, depending on context, gets trans translated either spirit or wind. But it's the same word that was used. And so what we see here is a, is a recreation beginning with that wind. That God's going to start blowing back the waters. And then he does it in reverse order. If you follow and read chapter 7 and chapter 8, you'll, you'll watch the numbers. Um, and they go up to 150. They go backwards to 100 and, uh, from 150 to 40 to 40 to 7 to 7. And so we follow the same pattern. And this recreation of the earth happens in chapter 8. The waters receded. And the ark comes to rest on the, on the top of mountains of Ararat. In verse 4. And the waters continue to recede. And Noah sends out the, the raven. And it flies to and fro. And it does not come back. Then he sends out a dove. And it does come back. But with no evidence. And it sends out a dove again. Um, and it comes back with the uh, freshly plucked olive leaf. Another fun uh, piece is that Olives will actually put olive trees will actually put out leaves while they're underwater. Um, I didn't know that, but they will they will um, grow leaves, and so it brings back he brings back a freshly plucked olive leaf, which means it had to be out from underneath the water to, for the bird to get it, for the dove to get it. And he waits. Noah waits another seven days. And then God said, uh, in verse, starting in verse 15, Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives, 
Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply. So we again, we get that same commandment that we get in chapter 1 to be fruitful and multiply is repeated here uh, when Noah comes out of the ark with his family. And God is entrusting Noah to pass that same legacy that he was passed to his sons and to, uh, to their sons and that a godly legacy would leave out from the ark. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his son's wives, every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Verse 20, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Noah comes out with his family, and the first thing he does is worship. He brings an offering to the Lord. Not that unlike Cain and Abel brought an offering to the Lord. But he takes of the clean animals, the animals that were without blemish, and he offers to the Lord. And it says that the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. And the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. I think that the pleasing aroma, again, gives us a a visual or an image. But what God saw was the heart of Noah to worship and to, to display worship for his sons, to pass the legacy of, of worship down to his, to, to his kids. This story, the story of the flood, parallels the story of Christ. That one righteous man would be rescued or would be would pay for the the sins of many noah like jesus uh, recreates a godly uh, legacy and jesus is doing that in us by redeeming us and a right response for us as a church as a people as believers in jesus christ is to worship him to walk with him, to give him our heart, to trust him, to be faithful followers. God desires our worship. He desires us to let him be God, to let him decide what is good in this world. To trust in that and to worship him. Father, when we look at the story, 
of a flood, we see judgment. And we see that our sin grieves you. But we see your grace. That you are a God that would fulfill his promises to Eve. That there would come from her one who would destroy sin and would destroy death. And that would be Jesus, your son. Jesus, we thank you that you were willing to come and to live a righteous life and sacrifice that for us. We pray that you would free us this week to worship you and to worship uh, the rest of this morning, uh, that we would, like Noah, uh, that our heart would worship you in all that we do. We pray in Jesus' name.